Welcome everyone to the Out on a Limb podcast. Welcome or welcome back. Today we have another special episode with David Manning, one of my favorite energy workers, and I'm so excited he agreed to come chat with us today all the way from the UK, where it's a little later in the day than it is here in Charleston. Uh, So let me give a brief introduction to David and we're gonna let him take it away. But David is a transmitter and receiver of energy and information. He interprets patterns in the fields of multidimensional energies and gives voice to them in order to make them accessible for others. He does this through online teleconferences, which are fabulous, also workshops and courses, and of course, through individual sessions. Welcome, David. Welcome. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me. It's so nice to uh, to meet you all and uh, and to be with you. Thank you. We're thrilled. Um, I do have a little bit of experience with his teleconferences. Like I was telling him before we started live here, um, they're just so relaxing. The minute I get into his energy and his voice and his demeanor, mm-hmm. it's just amazing. It's soothing. I my my one and I you know forgive me, but my one and only experience uh, with David, we were actually up on our. We have a pretty big lake, sizable lake, uh, just north of us, and we were on our boat last summer. And Allison likes to just relax while I'm fishing. And well, she started playing that and it was on, you know, speakerphone or whatever we were on and allowed. And I had to put my fishing pole down because I was like, okay, I'm going to fall asleep or I'm going to go into meditation or I'm going to go into some sort of trance because this is just, you know, well, vibrat- vibratory. Were, it was so intense. I thought you were going to tell the one about, was it 2019 when we had the big eclipse? Yes, that too. Yeah. So we were out on the lake, I re- the big eclipse now I remember that, that, yes. you, that went straight over South Carolina yep. and out there. And it was a yucky day and we were trying to outrun the clouds. <laughs> uh, and there was that was another one that you That's had. That's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that it was fabulous. Okay. Yep. Now you still haven't really had much of a chance to say anything, but I, I got a question already. If everyone's saying about how relaxing, soothing your voice is, and you're working with energy, <laughs> so is it that you are modulating everybody's energy into the same frequency so that it's like exponentially greater or just curious? That's a that's an interesting question. I've, I've never actually thought about that, but <laughs> there were a few things that happened around my voice Um where there were other layers of frequency added to to the voice um so i and i became aware that there was a lot of energy transmitted on my voice and that wasn't anything that i you know at a personality level did it was just things that i was made i was made aware of that there had been trainings in other times so trainings with sound trainings with um with what one teacher I had called, she called it the sacred voice. And that, that always seemed like a um, a slightly pretentious title to me, but it's, it's a voice that, that transmits quite a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of nothing to do with me in effect, you know? So when I'm offering a teleconference, we collectively, there may be, between one and 200 people on the teleconferences from all over the world. And we build a field of energy with lots of invitations to lots of different um, groupings, lots of different beings, the earth, of course, the nature spirits, the crystals, the lion headed beings are a field of beings. They work with me. So they're always very present. Everybody's guides and higher selves, you know, a lot. And so the field builds and builds and builds. um, And that enables a lot of energy work to happen, both for those that are 
in attendance um, or listening to the recording, but also uh, for the wider collective, because the the energy work is always dedicated to the to the upliftment of the whole of humanity. In effect, so um, so it, it seems some powerful energy work is happening. Um, and again, I'm not really. Uh, I'm not responsible for that. You know, the field does the work. I, I am a placeholder for the field in that in that sense. You know, does that make sense? So I'm not consciously modulating everybody's energy, um, but I think it happens because that's what happens. If you're a room full of people meditating together, your field modulates, and we connect heart to heart and build a field. And you know. Thousands of years ago, we would have meditated in temples together to modulate the energy of the planet, I think. And um, now we get to do it in, you know, with modern technology. We get to do it from all over the world. We don't have to be in the same location. And that that really works on the planetary field. I think that's one of the blessings of of these technologies that we're working with now, you know. So, um, so yeah. Absolutely. Does that make sense? This all started. Well, <laughs> we definitely want to get to all, how all that started, but that reminds so me then, because you offer these via Zoom throughout the world, yeah. uh, when did you start offering those teleconferences and did they change during COVID when everybody kind of went to Zoom? Luckily for me, I had been, um, you know, my work had moved online. So I had been doing a lot of work, or not a lot of work, because I didn't really have this as a business it was something i did but but i didn't ever think it would be what supported me um and there was guidance came in on the dis on the december solstice of 2013 which said we want you to finish the work you're doing i was working as a garden designer in london and um we want you to focus on workshops and um and energy work and and building a website and all of that sort of thing and i thought oh great you know marvelous and i was think i was on on a plane at the time um heading off on a on a christmas holiday and i thought about this all over christmas came back to london after christmas and froze and didn't know what to do i was terrified of of doing anything so i did nothing for 2 years um and then somebody who had uh, quite an audience um really liked the work i do and and she said i'm going to launch you how are we going to do this? You know, I'd done some energy work with her that she really responded well to, and she said, "I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll launch you." Um, and I knew I could work with groups of people, and I knew it could, like, it would happen online. Um, and I was in Edinburgh at the time, and there was a lot of um, history of witchcraft and and persecution of the witches in edinburgh and that was very present in the landscape and so i was very aware of that and i had done a lot of work around that in the past when i had started giving readings at a place called the college of psychic studies in london one woman after another would walk into the room and in their field would be that pattern of of the um uh, the Inquisition, you know, and the the burning of the witches and i understood over time that that was a really significant piece of energy work um, by the church to suppress not only women, but to terrify a vast population out of opening up their multidimensionality. Um, 
And it was a, a really, really successful piece of energy work. It closed down, you know, millions of people for a long period of time because that became a deep um, psychic wound then in the collective that was still holding uh, hundreds of years later. And it would come up when I was doing readings. And then I realized that I had that pattern in my field. I later realized that I had been one of the architects of that pattern, that I had been in the church, you know, creating that. And so it was part of my role to help to unwind that pattern. And so the first teleconference I did was um, on the burning of the witches and releasing that um, painful pattern that would act you know, as somebody would start to open up and open up their psychic abilities, they would meet this pattern in their field and it would terrify them. There would be that subconscious, I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't go through this pattern. And so releasing that was a, a really significant uh, piece of work that we did. Um, and from that, you know, from the first teleconference, 150 people signed up for that. And that number has sort of stayed the same right the way through and that was the first one was in 2015 so it's uh it's eight years now may of 2015 so it is uh it is eight years so and it the number has regardless of you know i have obviously um developed a website and had a, a you know a newsletter list and but the numbers haven't really changed so i have a a sense that that number is is um is a useful number to work you have to build a field that is planetary, planetary wide. It's a planetary field, people from all over the world. And I think that field holds a significant amount of energy that can work collectively. So fantastic. That's and it's so interesting fantastic. because not only mm -hmm. do I enjoy the teleconferences, but you write quite a bit of your meditative process and what comes through for you prior to and what prompts you to that next teleconference. And you'll often say that you're in your garden or whatever when these things come to you and how you process that and then how you're going to utilize that for the greater collective. So it's fantastic even just reading your posts. Mm -hmm. Again, there's a lot of energy gets transmitted through, through that. And it, that's not something that I focus on. It just... It just happens. But it's that that a lot of people tell me afterwards, well, just reading your your newsletter was a profound healing for me or or something like that, you know. So um uh but not something that I I focus on. It's just about and often that you know, I'll I'll be aware there's something wants to be written, something and I'll be resistant and I think, oh, I can't be bothered, I don't want to do that today. I don't and then I criticize myself, you know, I should be more available. Um, and then I try and sit down and write something and it doesn't happen. Then And then all of a sudden I sit down to write and it gets written in, in 20 minutes and it's and it's done, you know. And um, there's something. So it, it takes a few days for the energy to formulate itself. And I usually have a couple of experiences, maybe a dream or something will happen when I'm doing a one to one with a client and a pattern will emerge. And I, I can see when I'm working in somebody's personal field or when we're working in a place where the personal field meets the collective field um and then if it's in that place i know that we're working you know on what is a personal pattern for that individual but it's also a collective pattern and that we're starting to work into the collective field as well and then often a teleconference will emerge from that piece of energy work mm -hmm. um, did you listen to as it was like a 
six minute video that you just posted mm -mm. um all about how we're and i'm trying to remember the word it's not integrating but it's how okay so you know he's saying that um that he couldn't quite write this out so you're talking mm -hmm. it through right but yeah. i thought it was really cool that you were talking it through and posting it at mm -hmm. the same time but I it was about that. yeah yeah about yeah. how humans are moving back into that heart field or heart you know like that's right that, i always when i'm doing something i'm right in it and then afterwards i have no recollection of it at all because okay. i am in a in an altered state you know and and it just so i have to go back and look at it to think what was i doing <laughs> um so i couldn't remember what i had said in that i did get a, a bit of criticism for that because i had been on the beach wearing sunglasses and i had big white panda eyes and and, and brown cheeks and a brown nose and and uh, friends pointed that out um with a lot of delight <laughs> so i hadn't paid attention to sharing that thought process mm. like usually you know what we see is somebody um does the work you know behind the scenes polishes it up nice and then presents it you know and instead you're you were giving us like well this is how i you know kind of struggle with it let it sit with me you know and and voice it out and then it becomes a thing mm -hmm. and so i just i can't wait to see what you're going to do with that piece because now i've seen a little bit of it well we did a teleconference on it on sunday so we got woven in on sunday um and there were a few other pieces that get woven into that. Uh, again, I can't, for the life of me, I can't quite remember what, um, because that was a whole four days ago now, and it's gone. You know what it's like at the moment? It's like one day, and I can't remember what happened yesterday, because this is this is where we're at now, and, it, and it's, it's difficult to keep track. Um, what I do know is when I look back over what has been done on the teleconferences, it's like, oh, wow, I really see a, a beautiful pattern that's emerging. And again, I can't claim any responsibility for that. It's I just I'm literally downloading um, or uploading or, or I'm in the midst of these fields and, and interpret the energies. And but I do see a, a beautiful pattern that emerges about how we have been worked through many, many layers of of big archetypal patterns of wounding. Um, like. Uh, the witchcraft piece or like the enslavement genetics piece or um, there was one that was on the rape construct and I was seeing this energy emerging from the core of the earth and it was about and this was a few years ago now but it was about um, the rape of the feminine and how that was based in you know patriarchal constructs and um that it it operated at you know at a planetary level and what we were doing to the planet as well as you know to women um and individual women in particular and it was a, a, a an act of suppression that emerged out of of um again teachings of the church in terms of you know a man shall have dominion over the earth giving human beings the right to take what they want in effect um, and then, of course, the the uh, the suppression of the feminine that has happened on the planet over many thousands of years. And so this was I could see this emerging from in the core of the earth. And we did a teleconference on it. And then within a couple of weeks, the Me Too movement sort of unfolded. And I'm not in any way claiming responsibility for that. But it was it was part of a wave of energy that was moving. And I was just seeing that just a, a little bit ahead of time, you know, and, um, and part of that process. So, so yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a lovely collective process. And I think a lot of people work in 
you know, no, but we're all very individual and unique and nobody works in quite the way I do. And, and, um, but I think a lot of people work in similar sorts of ways, you know? What I like is the fact that, you know, for myself, I'm, I'm a trans channel. So I understand your aspect of, you know, having a transmission come through and putting all the pieces together and have that transmission come through. And then somebody asks you about it a day or so later and you're like, I have no idea. Right. (laughs) But I, the, 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 the framework in which you just laid out, I think is quite interesting. And I think it really helps many of us that work in this field of we're so impatient about when we get that little bit of a nudge or that little bit of a, you know, maybe we get that transmission started we're so impatient to actually see what that is. But what you've done over time is learned how to just let it sit. And then you begin to see the patterns of the full picture. And then you have a clear transmission that does come through. And I think that's, I think that's a really key aspect for many that are working in this field that feel they get transmissions, but they want to know what the message is right at the moment. Just let it cook, let it sit, you know, enjoy the day. Don't, don't, force yourself into what what isn't there at the moment so uh, you know i thank you for you know laying that out in the way you did so no and i think always this work i mean it it develops me the work has developed me and it's pushed me to trust and to surrender and you know own up to all of the little bits and pieces that, you know, where I want to claim credit for something, where I want attention. You know, it, all the time this gets worked on and worked on and worked on. Um, and I'm aware the work is very much for the for the collective as well, but it's but it's very much work for me. So it's, I mean, it truly is, and I often pinch myself, it's an amazing honour to be able to do my work at the same time as as work, you know, for for the collective um and i think a lot of us are in that lovely place now where where that merges um but it's 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 a lovely gift to be able to um to participate in this work because that i I do feel that i'm a i'm a participant in it um and i'm very aware of being the body on the ground that receives a lot a lot of support and guidance um and help, you know, to be able to to do this. And there were many times in my life, and, and I know you perhaps want to touch into some of those times, um, you, you know, where I was very, very resistant to doing this work. And I spent many years uh, in in major patterns of self-destruction as a way of, of, of attempting to avoid um, showing up for this, because I was, I didn't realise it at the time, but I was terrified of this, um, of this work. And that might also have been, some of that, you know, which the, the 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 suppression of the witches, that sort of thing. It might have been some of that pattern feeding into my own uh, inner terrors, but I didn't um, I didn't want to do this. Part of me did. I did at some level, and at other levels. So there was enormous conflict in me about um, stepping into this, and it took a long, long time for me to really uh, be in a place where where it could happen you know there was a lot of patching up that had to be done because <laughs> i'd made a bit of a mess of things for sure and all of us really and um it is a privilege will and i and samantha as well i'm sure uh, feel very humbled uh and fortunate to be able to do this sort of work and be boots mm-hmm. on the ground with our 
guidance teams mm -hmm. and um, act as a conduit. Mm -hmm, uh, and sure. I'm glad you mentioned trust and surrender. I do want to get into that as your uh, your story unfolds, because that's an important thing for all of us as we continue to evolve. And it's almost a day to day process. Yeah. yeah. You have written on your your site. You said that this this deep connection with multidimensional fields arrived when I was 27, but for many years I was primarily identified with my wounds. So I want to start with the wounding and share only as much as you feel comfortable with. But um, what were some of your experiences in childhood and young adulthood that made you feel so wounded? What what were some of the things that were going on back then? I grew up in a in a um... In a, my parents were addicts. They were both alcoholics. Um, there was a lot of violence between them uh, in the house. Um, and so that life felt very unsafe, very much uh, a battleground. And some of my earliest memories are watching my mother really being quite badly beaten by my father and thinking she's going to die. Um, and, you know, the terror of that as a, as a, as a very young child, uh, watching that and so it, 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 I also automatically sided with her um wanted to protect her but but I was a, a, a little child I couldn't so felt uh totally inadequate because of that later not that much later but there was an experience where I came to really understand that, oh, she was as much an architect of her victimhood as, you know, that they, they were locked in the victim-persecutor dance and, <laughs> and they needed each other for that dance to, to play itself out. And, uh, and so that shattered sound. Remember that being a really shocking revelation to me that, oh, Oh, she, she, you know, she's as locked into this as as he is. It isn't that he's the villain and she's the victim. It's it's a a dark and nasty dance that is where they're both as complicit as each other. And that was very eye opening for me as a ten year old. But it shattered. It, it it left me. You know, that was one of the. <laughs> the the fundamental planks I had built my life on was that my brother was the victim and he was the villain and. <laughs> was that that was no longer there, and that left me very insecure. I would also had been very aware that I was gay from a very early age, and in the town where I grew up, in a small little town in um, in in Wales on the coast in Wales, um, and I was born in 1963. Um, so growing up in the 60s and 70s, that wasn't something you could, you know, there was there was it was a different age, a very different time, and my thinking my belief system then was that if that had become public knowledge that I would, my only option would have been to commit suicide. So I was under putting myself under a lot of pressure to, to keep that buried. Um, so I was living a lie at that level. Uh, then I was, um, there was a big pattern of sexual abuse, not from immediate family, but from a, a extended family um, member, which left me shattered really. Um, and uh and then I, I became an addict myself. I was, I was already using addictive substance, substances by the age of seven. So I was sniffing solvents and, and getting getting very high. And um, so it was a it was a very messy cocktail. Um, and and 
I constructed because I left my body um, with when I was raped um, as a very young child. The trauma was such that it sent me out of my body and I stayed out for a long, long time. Um, many, many years. You know, I wasn't uh, I was <laughs> it was a long time before that aspect came in. And so I I felt like an empty shell. And I built, I constructed a personality that would get me through life, but there wasn't much going on behind that personality. And so I used, um, you know, from an early age then, alcohol and, um, well, alcohol primarily as a teenager to, to get uh, to get through that. And then as soon as I got to London at 19, I was on whatever drugs, you know, I could find. I mean, I was, I was just partying. Uh, the whole time so it was it was it was a mess and I'm <laughs> very surprised that I survived to be honest and I almost didn't you know I I almost didn't so uh, but there had always also been this strong multi-dimensional current running through so as a child there was a voice in the center of my head that chattered away all the time um and kept me company in a sense it makes me want to cry now just speaking about it um and that left when I was seven and I felt abandoned and devastated, um, but it had to leave so that I would focus more in in the world. Um, that didn't really work, I don't think. <laughs> um, and, you know, often I would, I would have strange experiences that I knew I couldn't really talk to other people about. But one of them I came to realize afterwards was that I, I would often I would close my eyes and... Um, internally i would be seeing out of the of somebody else's eyes and i know now that those were what we could term parallel lives or other aspects of my soul present on the planet now one of those was a girl in china i think um and one of them was a man i think in 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 america um and i i <laughs> those things were happening but um so that that was a strong aspect of my inner world too, but there was there was it was complete chaos to be honest, and and huge uh, confusion, and um, and I learnt to create a facade that told the world I'm fine. Don't you dare ask me how if anything's going off in me because that facade wasn't that strong, and I was very heavily defended. You know, it was like keep everybody away. Um, and then at the age of 27, I remember coming home from work and I was in London and I was rolling a joint in the kitchen and this voice popped up again. And it was like, <laughs> and uh, it just started telling me things and leading me um, through things. And, uh, and that was lovely. And it awoke uh, a whole field of abilities. It led me to this place, the College of Psychic Studies in in London, and I trained there and I worked there um, for an, a, you know over a long period of time. But I was also dropping deeper into my addiction at the same time that all of this was opening up, and I was trying very hard to do both, to keep both. You know? <laughs> and of course, you can't. Um, I knew that I, that that. I wouldn't be able to do both, that I would have to let go of um, alcohol and drugs. Uh, but I, I really didn't want to because I was actually terrified of what this of what this world was um, was offering. And 
early on in my uh, exploration of psychic development, I, I was uh, I knew that I was touching truths and fields of energy that were so beautiful um, and so real. And I knew that they wanted all of me. And I knew that I wasn't in any way ready to, to give all of me to that. And the result was that I sort of tore myself in two with that um, to the point that I almost died uh, with my addictions and then had to stop. And um, a year after stopping alcohol and drugs, I had liver cancer, uh, which was medically speaking, I was told, now this is, you know, you're not going to survive this. There's nothing more we can do. The chemotherapy is not working. Um, and that was the real wake-up call for me at that stage because I still had this lovely connection, although I had tried to, um, I had tried very hard to destroy it, um, but it it wouldn't be destroyed. Um, and uh, so the cancer was. <laughs> I mean, it was a beauty. There is a, a, a teleconference on my website where I talk about the whole of the cancer process because it was a, an astoundingly beautiful process from before it. I was actually, you know, before I actually became ill through till afterwards, it was as if I was held in a beautiful, beautiful bubble of light and walked through the whole process. Um, and as soon as I asked for this time when two different teams of doctors had said to me okay you're you're going to die within within months i went into guidance and asked you know went in and and uh, was told well look it's your life you can do what you want with it you've been living as if you wanted to die and you're about to get that result is that what you want <laughs> um and if it is then that's fine come home not a problem. But if it isn't, then um, make your mind up. Uh, and then I was told the only reason for living is to live with joy. And if you can't do that, you might as well come back. Um, but if you want to live with joy, then make that your focus. And living with joy had never, ever seemed like a possibility to me. It had, had never occurred to me that that could be a uh, an option, you know. Um, and so I decided, and it, this was in London on Hampstead Heath, it was February morning, it was cold and it was windy. And I said, yes, okay, I'll live. Will you help me? Um, and this one little white feather just spiraled down uh, and landed at my feet. And it shouldn't have spiraled down because there was a 20 mile an hour wind blowing and it should have been carried <laughs> on the wind. <laughs> but it just spiraled down and landed at my feet. And I knew that that was that was my answer and um and so the cancer was gone a month later um and the doctors said oh well you know the chemotherapy must have kicked in then and i knew that that if i had said no i'll come home i would have probably been dead a month later i would have there would have been you know something would have happened and i would have died and that would have been okay too it was made very clear to me that it didn't matter what choice i made in fact i was told you'll be doing the same work anyway, whether you're in or out of a body. So it doesn't really matter. And it was like, oh, okay. And there was something, I think reverse psychology was used on me because it took the pressure off. I was, this, you know, 
I should be living this something I should do, you know, all of this sort of thing. And it was like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. Um, and it was like, oh, <laughs> so it, it um, yeah, it, it, it changed things. That process changed things for me a lot. Um, but afterwards, I thought everything would open up beautifully. And of course it didn't because I had years and years of very deep shadow work to, to do in order to repair the mess I had made of things. And then a lot of the childhood stuff that I hadn't um, begun to touch, you know, so, um, so it was profound. And there were times in the, you know, where I thought, Oh, I wish I had said I would die rather than, than I would live because it was really hard graft for a, for a long time. And then um, slowly, slowly, slowly things came back together and uh, I built a life because I hadn't made much of my life up until then. I had always been avoiding life and uh, slowly built, built a life. And then this opened up in 2015, um, again, orchestrated, not from my efforts, but um, from... I guess the impatience of my team saying, Oh my God, we've got to find a way to get him doing what he said he would come and do. <laughs> so. Not orchestrated by you or, or not, you know, that was really profound that you made the choice to live. Like that takes guts. Yeah. That takes, especially because you got to go through it now. Like you can't there. I mean, there are decisions you make in your life and you know that if you're making the decision to move forward, then you have to work through, you know, the detritus, the mess that you've made of your life. Like you, you have to deal with that. But I didn't know that at the time. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, I'll probably be able to write a book now about how to heal yourself with cancer. And I'll just move straight onto the lecture circuit and that will be it. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't that at all. It was just years and years of really uh, deep shadow work, all of the sexual abuse stuff, which I had been suppressing, you know, I had kept a lid on it. And it's weird that a capacity we have, because we have it, it's a collective capacity as well as an individual capacity to keep memories just, just below the surface. So I knew something had happened. Um, mm. And when that, the, and the funny thing was, and this is, is, uh, is such a lovely story. I had, and I had to quite go into it. So before the, the, the sexual abuse memories came back, um, about a year before this unicorn had started showing up in my meditations. So there was this huge, shiny, silvery, white unicorn up here in meditations. And it was, and I had often seen animals in meditations, but this, this wasn't communicating anything. It was just there as a presence. And it annoyed me because I was thinking, well, if I wanted a power animal, I would like a bear or a lion or a wolf, not a bloody unicorn. Um, <laughs> and this was before unicorns were fashionable even. Right. So, uh, <laughs> and it was just up here. And then I was on a yoga retreat and these memories just exploded. I had a, a dream about my uncle and um, I was late for the yoga class and I, I rushed in and, uh, and we, we were talking about dreams that morning by chance. And I started to talk about it. And it was, it was like an internal explosion where everything just exploded all at once. And, and I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed for a long time. And then I was sitting in the garden afterwards on the break, uh, just sort of trying to pull myself together a bit and just come back to myself. And this unicorn appeared and on his back was the three-year-old me. 
and the unicorn trotted into my heart and brought the three-year-old me back. And that was, I had left my body as a, as a three-year-old and had been taken care of in other dimensions. And that, that single uh, piece of integration work again, which I didn't orchestrate or, you know, it was, it was a magical moment healed a wound of emptiness that I had been trying to fill for years and years and years with all sorts of things, you know, drugs, sex, food, um, mm. everything, uh, and had never quite been able to. And that that was a was a really significant shift point. And so I, you know, when we hear about the the the, the horrible horrible uh, stories about sexual abuse that happened and ritual abuse and and you know, I know that I have touched a tiny, tiny piece of that because what happened to me was nothing compared. But I understand the um, how easy it is to shatter a child's energy field and to um, wow. for them to be be disembodied and to to uh, dissociate and go out of body and and what a profound wound that is. Uh, and uh, how, you know, how often that would result in suicide by one means or other, perhaps not a, a direct suicide, but an addictive suicide or an accident or, you know, just giving up on life. Because if you're not present enough to hold the currents of life in your form, then um, then it will become destructive. And, and, uh, and so it's... Um, it's an extraordinary thing that happens, you know, that uh, in uh, the sexual use of children on this planet. So, so what would you say to someone? Um, I've got someone close to me who just started dissociation at about, well, probably four years old. And you know what that does to a child's mind, you know, before the time they're six. And, um, you know, what would you say is the and and amazingly she has overcome obstacles that just it just blows my mind um but what would you say is the key thing for someone to do to look for to seek to try to overcome that dissociation like she learned to stay in her body how to be present um but what was the singular thing for you that helped you to stop i mean cuz i can i can look at her and there's you know the deer in headlights kind of thing and you know you know, the person's just not there. Um, so what was the singular thing that really helped you with that? Or is it more of a spiritual experience? For me, it was, it was very much a spiritual, but everything for me has been um, <laughs> spiritual, really. And, you know, I was always guided. I mean, I worked with lots and lots of different therapists, lots of different healers, lots of different modalities and yoga and many, many different approaches. And I think when I had made this field safe enough, mm. then that part of me could come back. Okay. So I had to do years of work to make, uh, well, to feel safe. And that safety, um, because I hadn't felt safe at all in, in any of my childhood. Um, so I had to, to ground myself, feel safe and do the really hard graft. And it is hard graft when there's a big chunk of you missing. It's really hard graft. 
um, and then, you know, to create a field of safety, which then allowed that piece. And the, the safety here calls that other aspect back in. And so you can go and do integration work or soul retrieval work or, you know, with shamans and, and, and whatever. But the the work will only happen at the rate that is appropriate for you. And I think there's a lot of other work that has to happen. Um, that makes so you have to, you have to really want it. Uh, and um, for me, the workers, you know, the multidimensional aspect of things has always been a primary mover in my case, that was always um, a part of, of, of my experience and has led the way in a sense, even to that sense of, because <laughs> um, when that three-year-old aspect came back in, a lot of the memories came back, which I, which was really unpleasant. Um, and one of those memories was being led into a room um, by my uncle to meet some of his friends who were into the same sort of thing that he was and to be introduced to them. Now, I didn't see them uh, because behind them was a large unicorn. And that's when I, so I went out of my body to the unicorn and I didn't experience what happened. And so imagine the saving grace of that, that, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you know, if, I had stayed in my body to experience that I probably wouldn't have survived. Um, so it's a way of <laughs> maintaining um, some degree of integrity of, of the field um, in a way that, that knows and trusts that all things can be remedied, all things can be healed, all things can be made whole again. Um, and, you know, a time span of 40 years isn't that much, you know, in the eyes of our soul, it's a lot for a life. Um, but our soul doesn't view things through just the one life or that perspective. It's, it's the whole. And there was the, the added bonus in a sense of being out of your body for extended periods of time, keeps the channels open that otherwise would close down. And so there was that Two. Mm -hmm. So nothing is ever is ever simple, and then nothing is ever cut and dried. There was another piece of awareness where I knew that me and my uncle had been married in a previous lifetime, and there was there was some you know there were <laughs> all sorts of weird things that came, and it's that mm, you know you can't make head nor tail of it, and and it, in a sense it's best not to try, but. Um, and I don't in any way condone using children for sexual gratification. It's a, a shattering, shattering experience for the child. Um, and adults need to take responsibility for those impulses if they're feeding them around children. Um, but it's never as cut and dried as it seems. You know, there are many, many dimensions at play, at work and, and, um, as I say, I don't in any way uh, condone that behavior, um, but there are more layers to us than than we are currently aware of, you know. And uh, I'm very fortunate that I got to glimpse some of those layers because that helped tremendously in my healing process, you know. Well, all I know from my perspective <coughs> with that is that 
Um, so I knew the abuser and um, after the fact, and I, I don't know what happened with my process, but I just reached a point where I was like, I need to forgive this person for me. And I actually wrote him a letter telling him, you know, I don't condone the actions, you know, which any other person would have taken a gun and shot the guy, you know, but I was like, I don't condone the actions, but, um, but, you know, I forgive you for your role. And I understand that this couldn't have happened unless you had agreed to play this heinous role. And um, I never heard back from him. I'm sure he thought I'd lost my mind. I know that I put that to bed and it was done, you know? And I see the benefits that have, you know, it's weird to say that the benefits, but you know, when you, when you move on, you begin to have the gratitude, you see the benefits, the strength. I have a relationship with this person that is amazing that I wouldn't have had had we not gone through kind of the fires of hell together. So there's, you know, I, I get what you're saying, but you're saying it on a whole other level, <laughs> but um, just from my experience in this lifetime, it's been amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it's always is, you know, the place of our deepest wound is the place where your greatest gifts will, will manifest, you know, when you do the work, isn't it? You know, and, and, and that's it. I mean, life has been crazy for me. But I know that a lot of the experiences I've had with addiction and, and you know, deep illness, I was diagnosed HIV positive in 1992, and that was a factor in the cancer, um, a factor in my addiction. You know, it was all a very tangled mess. And at that stage, there was no um, there was no medication. So, again, the doctors had said, well, you know, you might be healthy now. I was 20. What would I be? 1992, uh, 29 at that stage. Um, but, and he said, you could expect to be dead within 10 years. And I was sort of living my life accordingly in a sense, you know, and, um, but even with that, you know, <laughs> there were amazing, um, yeah, the multidimensionality already kicked in with that. And, and, uh, and I was told, you know, within minutes of being diagnosed, there's nothing to worry about with this. Don't worry. You know, and, and so I never did, um. So it's, <laughs> it's all, a, you know, it, there's, um, and all of those experiences, because you have to go into yourself to, to do the work of healing. And, um, and that's, so it's always been grist for the mill, as it were. And then it enables you to, to sit with somebody in their darkest experiences and, and transmit the understanding that whatever you have lived whatever has been done to you whatever you have done to others you can move through it and past it if you want and i know that and so i can hold that energy for somebody and that's that's really useful you know that is a powerful statement thank you yeah. for that that's yeah. a big deal for those who are watching who have gone through trauma and our clients who have gone through trauma um and back to the surrendering and the trusting, you said that, for instance, through the cancer, they said, don't worry about it. And you didn't. Does your trust come from having that direct guidance uh, or is it a daily kind of practice to continue to trust and surrender? Do you often fall back or backslide sometimes? Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, <laughs> I'm very human and and 
and my baseline is is addiction so i you know and i can be addicted to avoidance and um you know all sorts of of things and um trust and surrender they're not one off events are they 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 do have to be practiced on a on a daily basis and life will always show you where you need to where you're not surrendering and where i'm not trusting and so i you know it's easy for me to trust on the bigger things because i've had a lot of practice on those but i still have issues you know around lots of things choosing a builder to work in my home is an issue. it's a big issue of trust you know those sorts of things and in the end i always get there and think okay it will be fine you know i was wanting a, to have a dog when we were all in lockdown and um the 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 dog breeder who I had was going to go with said, oh, no, you can't choose the puppy. I'll be because, you know, it's locked and you can't come and choose a puppy. You can't come and look at them. And I was like, well, that's not going to work for me if she's choosing the puppy. How am I going to know what puppy I'm going to get? And I went into meditation and said, I don't think this is going to work. And as soon as I dropped into meditation, my heart opened and a puppy was dropped into my heart. And I knew immediately that the um the perfect dog had already been chosen for me now the dogs weren't even born at that stage but i knew um as that image dropped into my heart that he was already um he'd already been chosen and uh when i picked him up he is yeah i'm mean, totally the perfect dog for me and i couldn't have chosen a better dog so i get lots of i get huge huge support all the time uh and that's the lovely thing for me because because I've needed it. You know, I've really needed a lot of support. I wouldn't be on the planet if it weren't for the support and the extraordinary patience that has been extended towards me when I haven't had the patience for myself or the um or the self-care or any of those things. You know, it has been extended to me from other dimensions. And slowly, 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 more and more of me has thawed out and I have relaxed into those other dimensions and made more of them or integrated more of them into my um, into my daily awareness in that sense. Um, and I think that's how the process goes. You know, we... we we expand into bigger and bigger versions of ourselves as we open into these higher levels of the of the field. But first, you have to do a, a significant amount of of the healing work in the in the lower levels of the field, the personality levels of the field, and clear up a lot of the the knots there. Well, we could talk to David Manning for a long time because there's so much to talk about. So we're going to go ahead and break here, and we're going to come back with part two. So you'll definitely want to tune in again because the conversation just keeps getting better. So thank y'all so much for being with us on Out on a Limb podcast. Until next time. See you guys. Bye.